This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So every year I have someone from Resurrection kind of lean into me and get ready to say something to me as if they're going to say something along the lines of, I, I just have, you know, kind of an unquenchable love for 80% dark chocolate with sea salt. But instead what they say to me, and it happens every year, is, I just love Lent. Is that okay? Um, you're a weird church. I mean, you, this church loves Lent. Um, there's just an incredible love, and it's obviously not weird, to set in and move forward uh, toward a season of repentance, toward a season of preparation. And it is something that I, I just have come to love about resurrection. Let me start with a story, and then we'll look at Jesus' teaching specifically from Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. I had the joy of attending Wheaton College, just a couple of miles east of here, and a venerable tradition uh, back in the 80s when I was there, and a tradition I believe uh, still carries on was the, the tradition of class films. And the class film situation was quite the amazing social event uh, back in my day. Everyone would crowd into Pierce Chapel, and uh, we would be working on um, our class film for months prior to it. That, and that, and that era involved a very large machine on your shoulder that would create a videotape. And my freshman year, I had a chance to be in the class film. So I had a cameo in the class film um, where I starred in a, a kind of a short a musical piece called The Geology Jam. That caught the attention of the producers for the sophomore year film, and they actually cast me in the lead role. And I began to realize that this was going to be my opportunity to kind of break into the cool kid strata at Wheaton College. I anticipated it, I gave it my best, and the project began to sort of unfold in unfortunately and honestly, sadly, a bizarre combination of pride and mockery. Indeed, it was a film that was cynical about the very things that I now hold dear, but unfortunately then uh, did not hold precious things dear. And we put together this strange, bizarre film. We went there anticipating a great reception. The freshmen did their film, and everyone applauded and cheered. Um, our credits came up to begin with, starring Stuart Ruck III. Um, again, I swelled with anticipation and pride. And within five minutes of our 20-minute class film, people were booing. And I mean at the top of their lungs, booing. And the booing then changed from booing to chanting. And the chant was, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And somebody back wherever they were in the booth where they had the power to do so must have had some button, big, large red button that said off. And they made an excellent decision in retrospect, and they pressed it. And then it was over. And I was in a state of shock. I was incredibly embarrassed. And I realized after months of pride and strange motivations, I just had a failure projected literally on a screen for hundreds of my peers to see.
as we begin to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Can you see your own projected picture, or can you capture a time when you too might have had, maybe not in the exact same circumstances, but a place of failure? I'm not asking you to revisit in detail a place of sin, but you can capture a picture in your mind of the reality of sin in your life, uh, the reality of a serious mistake that was made. How aware are you as we start this teaching into Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, of your full screen picture of what I will clarify of a kind of spiritual poverty? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, we receive the very first teaching of what are called the Beatitudes, which are the core of Jesus' teaching ministry. And in this teaching, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poverty of spirit is the roadway, is the path, is the roadway into the kingdom of God, and it is the roadway as well into the season of Lent. Augustine, fourth century thinker, theologian, in his book, The Confessions, writes that poverty of spirit is how we begin any spiritual journey. Poverty of spirit he describes as the well-built road. So how do we walk the well-built road of poverty of spirit into our Lenten pilgrimage, moving from where we are now on Ash Wednesday through Lent to Easter? And it's very important that we understand as we begin Ash Wednesday that we begin with penitence, we begin with repentance, we begin with a sober assessment of our own poverty of spirit as it relates to our sin and as it relates to our suffering. I'll explain that in just a moment. But it's very important that we realize that on this well-built road, that where we are now, and what theologians sometimes call the already and the not yet, we are already in the reality of our poverty of spirit. We're already living in this reality, but we have to understand that the already now is leading to a not yet, which is the resurrection of Jesus. And we don't act as if that's not there in our future. And when we begin Lent, we start saying, this well-built road will take us through penitence. It'll take us through a somber assessment. It will take us through seasons of challenge and reality. But we are heading to the resurrection of Jesus. That's where we're going. And you are not designed as a human being, and you are not designed as a Christian to live even the poverty of spirit reality without knowing that the resurrection awaits all of us. Amen? That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And we'll be there in 40-something days. But how we get from now till then requires the blessing of poverty of spirit. So how do we do this? In one word, we practice. We practice poverty, my first main section. We practice our poverty picture. Two, and then three, we practice our poverty prompts. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, it has taken some 2,000 years of scholars and thinkers and pastors to work out and are still working out what exactly did our Lord mean by poverty of spirit. One contemporary careful Bible scholar translates this passage this way. Blessed are those who feel their poverty, who cannot live without God's 
spiritual help. John Calvin, 16th century theologian, he puts it this way when it comes to poverty of spirit. He only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on God's mercy is poor in spirit. To be at that point where we are reduced to nothing in ourselves, which is to say, helpless, powerless. As we reflect on the greater witness of Scripture, we see there's two kinds of poverty that are described throughout Holy Scripture. The first is the poverty that comes from the reality of our sin. Indeed, we see in Psalm 51 that we will say together in just a moment, a theology of the reality of sin. And it starts with a plea, have mercy upon us, O God, in your great goodness, according to the multitude of your mercies, wipe away my offenses. That the heart of sin and the heart of our sinful nature is an offense against God. It, is, it, it, it stems from a desire and a choice to live out of order with God, out of the logic of God and the order of God and the way of God. Indeed, in Genesis chapter 1, at the very beginning of the Bible, we read in the creation of God that he creates male and female. He creates man and woman. And in verse 31 of chapter 1, he states very, very clearly, and it was very good. This is a fundamental creational reality of humanity, is that they were made very good. Two chapters later, in Genesis chapter 3, though, we read of the first male and female, Adam and Eve. And in that place, they choose against God. They tear the roof off their houses, and they expose themselves to the elements of their own sinful nature and of the sin of others that will come against them. They make themselves absolutely prone. They move into disorder. They move into disharmony. And in doing so, they choose despondency rather than joy that was their inheritance. They choose constant constriction rather than freedom. They choose a monotony and a monotonous life, the drip, drip, drip of the reality of the sin nature rather than the creativity that God himself had just displayed in the making of all things and had displayed in making them. And we have a poverty of spirit because of our sin. We are in a place of constant helplessness. We are reduced to nothing in ourselves. But we see in the scriptures another kind of poverty as well. And this is a poverty that comes from suffering. Indeed, our Lord himself exemplifies this. We know that Jesus was without sin. He had no poverty due to his sin. But he suffered for our sin. And in his suffering for our sin and in his living his life in order with God, in harmony and in fullness with God, suffering came upon him. Paul, his, the follower of Jesus, speaks of a suffering reality in what was just read for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where indeed this suffering does not come from his own sin, but it comes from sin against him. Indeed, it comes because he's living a life for God, not sinless in Paul's case, but a life for God. Indeed, many of the material poor are those who live this kind of poverty of spirit from suffering. Some of the poor, 
suffer because of their own sinful decisions, but many are born into it. Many are caught under a kind of circumstantial avalanche. And they know the poverty of spirit that comes from suffering. And then there are what are called the reverent poor. It's a phrase coined by theologians to say those who suffer as they try to live the way of God. Poverty of spirit manifests in both, from sin and from suffering. So it's important to have an idea, and you may have one immediately, or it may take more reflection, what it is that's on your poverty screen. It may be the reality of a besetting sin in your life that you realize, you look and you go, that's it. That's my poverty of spirit picture. It may come from an experience in your past, a mistake that's been made. But it's important that we engage this and reflect on this. That we might prepare our hearts for the promise that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Why the promise of the kingdom of God to those who are poor in spirit? And this is because the kingdom of God is the home. It's the domicile. It's the residence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That for those who are poor in spirit, they are then, through that poverty, ushered into the reality of the kingdom of God, wherein the resurrection of Jesus Christ reigns, which is why when we start on Ash Wednesday, we have to know where we're going, which is Easter Day. And for those who will accept the invitation into the poverty of spirit life on the well-built road, they have one place where they will go in Christ and that is the resurrection power of Jesus. Your poverty is connected to his power. Amen? Your poverty of spirit is connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly how Jesus lived his life and how he has now called us to live our lives. And we start on Ash Wednesday. We start with that promise. Your poverty of spirit is the well-built road into the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection. Lilius Trotter, early 20th century missionary, artist, poet. She went from her home of England to minister the reality of Jesus to those in northern Africa. She has a beautiful quote about this connection between poverty and power. It's poetic. Try to track with me here. She writes, God finds the way for the wind and the water and the lightning. The way for the wind is the region of the greatest emptiness. The way for the water is to the place of the lowest depth. The way for the lightning, as science proves, is along the line of the greatest weakness. The wind of God, the water of God, the lightning of God comes in those places that are lowest and weakest, emptiest. But in our sin, and in our sin nature, and in our refusal to accept our poverty of spirit, we can actually flip Lily Strider's images around, and instead of being a place where the lightning strikes, where the water comes, we want to be the lightning. We look at our helplessness and our powerlessness, and we say, I will have no more of this. I will no longer be struck. I will strike. 
I will no longer be flooded. I will flood. And I will rise up. And I'll be the lightning wind and water. I'll take power. I'll take control. Family of God, do we not know that fantasy? Do we not know those actions? Perhaps cloaked in Midwestern aw shucks, but you know when you want to be lightning. I know I do. So as we view this screen, this picture of our poverty, it's very important that we're clear what glasses we are putting on to see this screen. There are the glasses of a biblical understanding of shame, and there are the glasses of a worldly understanding of shame. Here's what biblical shame says. Here's what biblical shame looks like. Biblical shame says, I am a sinner and I need Jesus. That's a proper, holy, biblical shame. Worldly shame says, I am just wrong. I'm just a wrong person. And I must make myself better or I must disappear. If you live under worldly shame, you're either in a mode of, I will make myself better, I will make myself lightning, or you are just like, I just want to disappear. I don't want anybody to see me. Poverty of spirit glasses, if we put those on, I'm a sinner and I need the Lord, gives us a kind of 3D experience of these pictures of our own poverty of spirit. We can see it, we can engage it, and we can then move from it to a 3D picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But if you put on those glasses of worldly shame, they're glasses of perfectionism. It just crushes you because you can't make yourself better. And God doesn't want you to disappear. But your frame is not designed to carry that worldly shame. It's really important that as a pastor, I communicate this clearly to you. God don't want you going through Lent with those lenses of worldly shame, thinking that somehow you're doing something biblical or, or Christian. But I do want you to go through Lent with the lenses of godly shame, of helplessness, of powerlessness that cries out to Jesus to meet you. So as we practice our poverty and practice our poverty picture, we learn to practice poverty prompts. We are all too familiar, are we not, with the way in which our phones like to prompt us. They remind us of things we ask them to remind us of. They send us uh, text reminders of people that would like to communicate with us. We live by prompts more and more. I would like to encourage us to consider a poverty prompting, which is to say those places that are miseries, those places that are anxieties, those places that are weaknesses that crop up in our imaginations or that we feel in the pit of our stomach or in our chest or wherever it might be, those places where we want to deny and move out and escape from, those very places can be converted from miseries to prompts to send us to the Lord, to say, this is really happening to me. Uh, my, my hands are really clammy. My stomach feels like I'm nauseated. My, my neck and shoulders are, are just constricted like a couple of, you know, sort of cement knots here. It prompts me 
Paul describes basically a poverty prompt about six chapters after 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He had learned how to employ the reality of his weaknesses and miseries and calamities. He learned how to convert them, to draw him to Jesus, to move from poverty to power. He writes this. It's an incredible sentence. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I will all my weaknesses to prompt me. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's probably one of the best sentences in the Bible to put poverty and power together. Okay, I'm concerned that you're going to wear the wrong glasses. So I want to be really clear about that. I'm also concerned that you'll try to do this alone. Because in the same way that the wrong lenses will crush you, doing this alone will crush you. You are not made to live the poverty of spirit life, to trod that well-built road by yourself. We must go together. We must go as the church. We, we must go within smaller communities. We must travel this well-built road together. And if we will travel this road together, we will find there are billboards already prepared for us, all right? The best kind of advertising. Here's what the billboards along the well-built road of poverty of spirit say. They say, for example, what we say in the beginning of morning prayer. They say, oh God, make speed to save us. Oh Lord, make haste to help us. Those are the mottos of the poverty of spirit life. That's why our liturgy has those sewn into our daily prayers. Oh God, make speed to save us. Oh Lord, make haste to help us. When you can say that and enter into that, you're wearing the lenses of the right understanding of biblical shame. So what are those weaknesses? What are those miseries that can be transformed into a poverty prompt? Is it just a recurring challenge that will not resolve? Is a dogged sinful pattern? Is it an anxiety? Some anxiety can come from our sinful behavior in life, but God, there's just there's just so much anxiety that you all have. I know, I have it too. I just it, I'm just aware of it. So much so much anxiety throughout our church. Is it an anxiety that can actually prompt you? Is it a disability? Is it an illness? Our church family is challenged by so many different, both acute and chronic illnesses right now. Only because of what Paul has taught, might I say, could that become a poverty prompt to lead you to the Lord? Is it a close relationship that remains stubbornly broken? This isn't to minimize the solutions I've just, illustrations I've just given. It's just to give a kind of example. But so often, as you know, uh, when you get a canker sore and you're going through your day, don't you think, man, this would be a great day if I didn't have a canker sore. But this thing really hurts. I, I'm thinking about it all day. It's affecting me. On a much, much more grave scale, do we not think this would be a great life if I didn't have this or that or them? It's 
This is part of the call to fasting and fasting during Lent is that fasting becomes a physical poverty prompt for us by denying us of particular foods or particular patterns or habits that we often have. We prompt ourselves to remember our helplessness, that we want to be the weak ridge where the lightning hits. And fasting helps to lead us in that place and guide us there, which is why fasting is an important discipline for us as Christians. And I encourage you to enter into a fast of some sort. And we have resources for this on the Resurrection website. But I want to encourage you in a fast, but also in adding something toward poverty prompt and toward poverty of spirit, toward not practicing your poverty alone. First, if there is a particular besetting sin that you're just not getting freedom from, let me encourage you, if you haven't before, if you have before, to do so again, to ask others to pray for you. They must be trusted. They must be trustworthy. But ask them to pray for you. Ask them to do the Bible, which is called the laying on of hands, where a hand is laid appropriately on a shoulder or and on top of your head, and there's a prayer for you as you repent of this sin again and ask for the God's power to help you there. There will be trained prayer ministers. They can do that for you tonight. Particularly if you're suffering from a poverty of spirit from your sin. If you have a poverty of spirit from a suffering, let me encourage you toward this. That one of the most underutilized and powerful gifts of the Christian community is the power of the prayer meeting. Indeed, poverty of spirit is concretized. It's, it's, it's made incarnational in the reality of the prayer meeting. And I can assure you, there is nothing in the Bible that prevents you from having a prayer meeting whenever you want. You can have as many as you want. You can invite as many people as you want. There is no law against prayer meeting anywhere. As a matter of fact, I would strongly encourage you to consider creatively how much you call for a prayer meeting during the season of Lent around a particular poverty of spirit suffering that you are in right now. Indeed, in your small group, you may just convert that to prayer meeting throughout Lent and pray for one another in different ways. I'll never forget an experience I had in the last few months where family here within Resurrection was facing a, a dire medical need within their family. And so they reached out to about three dozen family and friends, and they called for a prayer meeting. It was in the middle of a weekday workday, and over 30 people came to their living room. And we joined ourselves in the solidarity of the poor in spirit. And we, as those who were helpless and powerless, went to him who has all power. And together with a voice, we cried out to God. We said, we have nothing in ourselves that can in any way solve this significant medical crisis that a family member is like, oh, God, hear us. Oh, God, make speed to save us. Oh, Lord, make haste to help us. And we cried out together to God. I felt like a Christian that day. I felt like I was on the well-built road of poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's go together. Let's travel. Let's pilgrimage this well-built road. We're starting here. We're going to Easter Day.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.